Well, hey, it's good to be here this morning. My name is Adam. For those of you who don't know, I'm on staff as the youth pastor here at Mission View. And we wanted to just take this Sunday to give you an opportunity to be able to see some of the students. I know there's far more students than you've ever known that we've had here. But uh, our students have done a great job of uh, being part of the services. Uh, other than today, we usually have students back doing the, the cameras. We have students who are uh, leading worship sometimes, who are always back uh, doing stuff with the children's ministry, and they do a great job over there. But they kind of just come out of the woodwork. So currently, we, uh, no one's watching your kids. And <laughs> just kidding. Thanks, Kate. My sister's laughing at my joke. Well, hey, we're in a study. Uh, we're in a study on James, which is a great book. I think there's some great things to know before we start about Scripture. There's some Scripture that speaks to the head. Uh, I'm a head person. I, am, I like to think of myself as more of a rational thinker than emotional. There's a lot of you guys out there. Uh, but then I read the book of Numbers or the book of Leviticus, and it's very, here's what you need to know about genealogies and stuff like that, real boring stuff, Okay. Then there's scripture that speaks to the heart, and we've been in 1 John, right guys? We've been in 1 John, which is all about what? Love. <laughs> which is all about love. So if you ever want to find scripture that speaks to the heart, you can read John, you can read 1 John. Uh, a lot of Paul's writings are very much about the heart. And then I think there's scripture that speaks to the hands, and this is James. James is very practical. James is very, how do we apply things in our life? And so James is writing to Jewish Christians, people that knew God and now know the Messiah, and they're persecuted and they're scattered about. And so it makes sense that thus far we've talked about persevering in trials. It makes sense that thus far we've talked about defeating and overcoming temptation. And so in a lot of ways, these are things that are in the world around us and how we interact with them. And now I want to posit to, uh, to you guys that this morning James is going to transition into something a little more proactive. Uh, something a little more, this is what we want to do. We want to pursue. We want to pursue righteousness. And so he writes to people about how to relate to the world around them, and he's going to then talk about how your faith works itself outward in a life of godliness. It works. It pursues righteousness. So whether you're a head or a heart or a hands person, this message is for you. I'm a head person, so it's not, it's not necessarily... James and I aren't necessarily the same person, but uh, there's some important stuff to know. First, let me pray for us. God, thanks for who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you for the lives of these students who are taking part in this service this morning. But I pray that as we leave here, we would not think of this service as something that is all about young people or, or, or us as members of the church, but about you. Um, allow us to see Christ this morning through the words of his younger brother, James. God, we thank you for who Christ is and the sacrifice that he made for us so that we could have a relationship with you. And we pray that that would shine through this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. We're in verse 19, 19 to 27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's going to be our key verse right there. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's a lot of good, meaty stuff in here. A lot of really hard stuff. Um, This section of Scripture, a lot of James, is something that people sometimes will take out of context and use it to say, oh, I can earn my faith or we need to work. And we're going to address that this morning. But what we're going to do is... um, Using that, that, that key verse I said, verse 20, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We're going to talk about a few things. What is the righteousness of God? How does the righteousness of God relate to Christ? How does Christ relate to the word of God? And then what is our part? How does all of that relate to us? And so I'm going to have three big points as we go along in case you want to split your notes into thirds or something like that. But we're going to do it section by section. Everybody good? Awesome. Know this, my beloved brothers. Uh, the actual, the Greek here for know this, this was originally written in Greek, is you know this. So again, if you are a head, heart, or hands person, James is talking to you. You know this, my beloved brothers. He's talking to people in the church. So essentially, pay attention. If there's one person you want to pay attention to other than Jesus in Scripture, is probably his brother. By the way, can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? If something went wrong in the house, if, you know, somebody broke a jar or something. Poor James. He was like always the scapegoat of everything. So he's saying, pay attention. You know this, but he's going to go on and talk about it anyway. So essentially people needed a reminder. We all need reminders sometimes. And he's addressing his beloved brothers. So remember that and we'll come back to it. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Not some people. Let every person a lot of people like to take that and split it up and say, well, you are, are you bad at hearing? Are you bad at speaking? Are you bad at becoming angry? I like to think that we all have struggles with these things, being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let every person. Why? Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In case you wanted to justify being angry, well, God gets angry sometimes. Yes, that's true, but he's saying the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Other translations, other versions will say, does not produce the righteousness that God requires. And so our first point this morning is this, God requires righteousness. God requires righteousness. And again, this is something that James is saying, you guys know this, but I'm going to tell you about it anyway. God requires righteousness. So whether you're here for the first time or you've been at a church and you've been a believer for a long time, this is something you need to know. God requires righteousness. What do I mean? God is righteous, God is holy, God is pure, God is morally other and distinct and perfect and separate from us in that sense. Let me read Leviticus uh, chapter 11, verse 44 and 45. This is uh, a book that's entirely dedicated to talking about the holiness of God. This is what it says. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. In Psalm uh, 96, it says this, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. 
Tremble before him all the earth. And then in Isaiah 6, chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It's all over scripture. God is holy. God, is, God does not take part in the sin of man. And so, what does that mean for us? Well, we understand that if, if God does not take part in that, how, can, how could we ever have a relationship with God? Because to come before a righteous God requires the righteousness of God. Psalm 15, Who, O Lord, o Lord shall be in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Our anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness that God requires. And any wickedness, any filthiness, which James addresses, disqualifies us from being before God. And so James is really starting this section here with pretty bad news. We don't want to listen to others. We want to assert our own ways. We get angry when things don't go the way that we want them to. It's really a good summary statement for mankind and all of man and our sinfulness. And essentially, we do not get to go to God. We will subject anyone and anything to us, even God. And so James starts this first section by saying, listen up, I love you guys, you know this, God is righteous, you aren't. God is righteous, you aren't. So it's bad news, you know this, is what he's saying. So now that brings us to verse 21, what do we, what do, we do with that? Put away all, not some, put away all filthiness, all rampant wickedness, and instead... This is what he tells us to do. It said, receive the word, the implanted word. Don't just receive it, receive it with meekness. There's an enormous difference, which I am just now realizing in my life. There's an enormous difference between listening and listening humbly. Receiving something humbly, receiving something with uh, with meekness rather than just waiting for your turn to speak or assert yourself or to become angry. See how that relates here. A whole separate sermon could be talked about with those things, but I'm going to skip past some of that. God communicates to us through his word. So listen, don't assert yourself. Don't anger. Shh, quiet. Come to God's word humbly. And then he says something that I find really difficult. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Is that true? I, but Adam, I thought only Christ saved. Does the Bible contradict itself here? We're saved by grace through faith. What does the word have to do with it? What is the relationship between Scripture and Jesus? And it's this, that the written word always points to the living word. So this is the second big point. The written word always points to the living word. So the first one, God requires righteousness, and now the written word points to the living word. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 24. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish one, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he did what? He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning how to live a really godly life. The things concerning himself, concerning 
Christ. Another one is Acts chapter 10, verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name, Jesus. And if that's not sufficient to talk about the relationship between the written word and the living word, Christ, this is in Revelation chapter 19, verse 13. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. So you see the two are connected. You can't, you can't love scripture and say, yeah, I'm, a really, I'm a theologian, I went to a Bible school, I'm a really big Bible guy, and hate Jesus. You can't love Jesus and hate his words. It's kind of like, uh, think of scripture as a love note of, from God to us about who he is and what he's done for us. And in doing so, you can pour over every word. Allow the word of God and who Christ is to penetrate your souls, taking root in you and giving life. That song we just sang, Word of Life. Receive it. This is how God has communicated himself to us. It is given, not earned. Receive it and receive it humbly. Listen to it. Don't assert yourself. Don't anger. Shh. That's the first section. Next, this is what James says. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Don't just hear. Don't just be a consumer. Do the word. The biggest complaint about Christians is what? That they are hypocritical. I ask the students this. What do, what do people say about Christians? The resounding answer is that Christians are hypocritical. They think one way or they believe or they say one thing and they don't do it. There's no evidence of that in their life. And this is, quite frankly, a very easy complaint to make against Christians. So if you get really angry at that, you're like, oh, Christians aren't hypocritical. James is calling Christians hypocritical 2,000 years ago. So it's not really an original complaint. Christians are hypocritical in the way that they deceive themselves. I want to read to you guys. Have you, has anybody heard of the Babylon Bee? It's like the Christian version of the onion. It's really great. They, uh, they do all these satires that kind of critique Christian culture, and here's something really funny. Headline reads, after 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents shocked by daughter's lack of faith. Local father, Trevor Mickerson, 48, and his wife, Carrie, are reeling after discovering that for 12 years of steadily taking their daughter, Janie, to church every Sunday that they didn't have a more pressing sporting commitment, which was at least once every three months, she no longer demonstrates the strong quarterly commitment to the faith that they raised her with now that she's college-aged. He was simply stunned at the revelation. I just don't understand it. Almost every single time there wasn't a rained-out game or a break between school and club seasons, we had Janie in church. It was at least once per quarter. And aside from the one tournament in 2011, we never missed an Easter. It was obviously a priority in our family. I just don't get where her spiritual apathy is coming from. Oh, I can't tell you how often we prayed... The prayer on the way to the game, added Janie's mother. You know, the more I think about it, the more this illustrates how the church just keeps failing this generation, lamented Trevor, citing a recently Googled study by Barna or something. The Mickelsons further noted that they have plans to have a chat with their pastor after their younger son Robert's soccer season calms down a bit. Christians deceive, we deceive ourselves all the time. In all sorts of ways. I'm righteous if I attend church enough. Or maybe I could just go on Christmas or Easter and get my dose of spirituality. Or even you could say that about 
being at church every Sunday. Well, on Sunday I go and I get my dose of spirituality and then I am done. I have my religion for the week. And you don't take it home. Or you think I'm inherently a good person or my, my sin isn't so bad, it affects nobody. It's only, it's only for me. Maybe you think I can afford to not listen because I don't really anger that easily. Or I can afford to assert my own desires because I do listen well. Or I listen well and I'm slow to speak so I can afford to become angry every once in a while. You know, God gets angry, right? Here's one. I can pick and choose what I want out of Scripture. These are ways Christians deceive themselves. I can pick and choose what I want out of Scripture. If this is how you think about God's Word, you might just be kind of practicing religion. You might be deceiving yourself. If all you do is observe, you are forgetting the image. A mirror is made to reflect an image. So what image does the mirror of Scripture reflect? Let me read to you John chapter 5. The Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me, about Christ. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. If you are deceiving yourself into practicing religion, being a hearer, not being a doer, not recognize, you're probably not recognizing the image that scripture reflects. You're probably living a life that's void of Christ. It's probably because you're forgetting Christ and you're forgetting that the written word points to the living word. And then he says, he goes on, he says, persevere. It won't always be easy. As you move from just merely listening to doing and recognizing Christ, people are going to take notice. It's going to get harder. So what's the secret? Love the word. Love the written word, love the living word who is Christ. And he also calls it the perfect law of liberty. So a question for you is what value do you put on Scripture? Real quick, everybody look at your neighbor and tell them what you've eaten so far today. Now everybody tell them what your favorite kind of food is. Now everybody tell them what kind of food is best. What kind of food is best? Take that question as you will. What kind of food is best? So far today, I've had nothing. My favorite kind of food is probably southern-style barbecue. What kind of food is best? I don't know. I was like, well, the first time I was asked this, I was like, healthy food? I, greens? I don't know. Really sugary stuff? I don't know what the right answer is. But the idea is, if we 
want to value the Word of God and Scripture as our ultimate authority, why do we not let, let that influence us? Why do we not let that influence how we feel about food? It was food that tempted Eve. Whether you eat or drink, do so for the glory of God. In doing so, Jesus declares all foods clean. There's stuff all over Scripture about food. Why do we not develop a Christ-centered worldview? Why do we not place an emphasis on the authority of Scripture in our lives? How do we view it? How do you view Scripture? Psalm 119 says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 1 says this, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Through scripture we know God's promises, his commands, his character, his will, and most importantly who Jesus is. And this is why at the end of this section James says, you'll be blessed if you know and you do the word. If anyone thinks he is religious and does, does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That sounds a little harsh. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Unstained. Remember, God is holy and righteous and we are not. God has righteousness that we do not have. We are stained by the world. James starts off with really bad news. So what's the good news? What is the good news? One thing that's awesome is you can use Scripture to inform Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, verse, starting in verse 17. There's a lot of Scripture being thrown at you this morning. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here's the key. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the what? The righteousness the righteousness of God, the righteousness that we don't have, the righteousness that we can't come before him because we don't have. Scripture says it's in Christ. So that's the good news. We are made righteous, yet we pursue righteousness. We are made righteous, yet we pursue righteousness. How does that work? Those seem like two totally different things. So I want to introduce to you, this is our third big point, by the way. We are made righteous yet pursue righteousness. So I, I want to introduce a, uh, an interesting concept to you. It's called compatibilism. Everybody say compatibilism. One more time. Compatibilism. Everybody raise your right hand up in the air. Say God's sovereignty. Left hand. Man's responsibility. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. The two work together. And I know... That, sound, that sounds ridiculous. Some of you are like, well, I'm, I'm a five-point Calvinist. I believe God.
God has, has foredestined, uh, uh, predestined people and foreknown and chosen, you know, who is going to be the elect. And some people are, are more like, well, I'm an Arminian. I, I believe that uh, man has the free will to choose and man can choose salvation. And the answer is yes. Think about it this way. Why do you pray? If all you believe is that God is sovereign, that's all you believe, God is sovereign and man has no power to affect any change in the heart and life of God and the heart and mind of God. If that's all you believe, you wouldn't pray. It would be useless. Then do it the other way. If all you believed is that everything is in your power and God is, is weak and measly and has no power to affect change, you wouldn't pray. It would be a waste of time. Prayer in itself is an example of this compatibilism which we see all over Scripture. This is why we are made righteous, yet pursue righteousness. This is why we are made holy, yet strive to be holy. This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. But he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And he refers back to that verse in Leviticus that we talked about earlier. Don't, though, confuse pursuing righteousness with salvation. God doesn't give salvation based on your merit or what you earn. Think of it this way. When I was living with my parents, they didn't say, Adam, you go to school, you come home to school, from school, you do your homework, you do your chores, you do this, and at the end of the day, I'm going to evaluate your performance and decide whether or not you're my son. Although my stepdad, sometimes he, said, he would say, when I'm, when I'm good, when I'm a good kid, I'm his son, and when I'm a bad kid, I'm his stepson. But that's not true. That's not how God works with us. My parents didn't keep a ledger and decide at the end of the day if they loved me or not based on my performance. There's a different kind of judgment for that, but my mother's love for me isn't contingent upon the chores that I do. Yet, yet, my relationship with my mom is going to be far more harmonious if I live in obedience to her. Right? So we are made righteous, yet pursue righteousness. And this is the same with God. God loves you. And so don't think of God's word as merely a, a list of rules and restrictions and things that you have to do and you have to follow and it's, it's hard. And this is, I've been scolded so much for having this this morning. Uh, this is a monster. It's an energy drink. Uh, awful for you, really bad for you. I really like them. <laughs> I think they taste really good. Uh, I could say if somebody wanted, a friend of mine, wanted to love me, they could give me a gift of Monster. And I would say, hey, thanks. Thank you, you are the best. Thank you so much. If somebody really wanted to care about me, love and care about me, they would give me the gift of Monster. Likewise, if somebody really wanted to love and care about me, they would know when to take this away from me. I'm not going to read the nutrition facts on the back, but I can tell you it says something like, if you drink too many, your heart will explode. <laughs> Sometimes it takes 
someone to know us and love us better, to know when to put restrictions and boundaries around things. And it is the same with the Word of God. It all starts with His love. And consider, even God's commands are acts of love towards us. That's why at the beginning of James, it says this, Know this, my beloved brother. That's why the most quoted verse in the Bible, John 3.16, is for God so loved the world. Let the love of God inform what you think about his word. And so if you want to pursue righteousness, that's our word for today, pursue. If you want to pursue righteousness, pursue Christ and his righteousness. Our lives don't just consist of of fleeing from sin. They don't just consist of that. They do. But not only that, not just fleeing from sin, but pursuing the sinless one. Finally, I want to read Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as by the one man's, Adam's, disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Christ, the many will be made, what? Righteous. Righteous. It all starts with the love of God. Let me pray for us. God, thanks for who you are. Thanks for what you've done for us in Christ. Thank you for the way that you communicate to us through your word. Allow us to come to your word humbly, listening, hearing, not asserting ourselves, not becoming angry, Humbly, quiet. Allow us to understand that you love us. And allow us to take hold of the promises that you've made that we can have your righteousness and come before you through Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen.